Welcome to another edition of Market Impact Insights, your podcast source for business leadership perspectives to help your business grow. Hear from experts in marketing, sales, business strategy, and more with practical advice for business success. Make sure you won't miss the latest episodes by visiting marketimpactnow.com. Now, here's your host, Dan Albaum. Welcome back, everyone, to another great episode of Market Impact Insights. You know, in our careers, we sometimes have very interesting journeys, uh, sometimes unanticipated shifts, twists, and turns where we evolve from what we think is our desired career path and we move in an entirely different direction. Sometimes that's a very entrepreneurial direction. And we're going to dive in and explore a great example of that, but also get into what is really happening at the forefront of strategic marketing and digital marketing in and around all of that. Joe Zappa began his career in journalism. He was a news editor at Street Fight and uh, also then became the managing editor there. But he, in addition to working on other various content development roles, really went in a very entrepreneurial direction. He is the CEO and uh, the founder of his own organization, Sharp Pen Media, and he's helping companies be able to refine and to elevate their marketing performance in the realm of technology. And so we're going to dive into this journey and what is really happening and best practices for taking our marketing to another level with Joe. Welcome to Market Impact Insights. Thanks so much for having me on. Glad to be here. So let's go back to this interesting personal path uh, that you have pursued. What really originally sparked your passion to make a transition from journalism into this company founder entrepreneurial path? I was freelancing as a journalist for years and then eventually became the editor of a MarTech media site called uh, Street Fight, as you mentioned, uh, at the same time I was finishing up a PhD. So I'd always made my uh, living as a writer and I got the opportunity to do some content marketing, realized it uh, relied on a lot of the same skills as journalism. It's just you're instead of going and finding facts in this neutral way, you're thinking about how does this specific company fit into the ecosystem I cover, which in my case for about a decade has been advertising and marketing technology. And then how do we create a narrative that differentiates this company from a com- from its competitors and captures what its customers most care about? So I found that that sort of slightly different intellectual exercise of devising narratives that uh, work for a company um, was as appealing to me as the journalistic mode of going out and reporting and hearing what a bunch of different people think about something. And the journalistic mode is often a precedent to doing the marketing work because you have to understand the ecosystem, of course, to propagate one company's position in it. Yeah, you mentioned something really interesting there, which is uh, this natural curiosity, inquisitiveness, right? That comes along with being in journalism, being a reporter. And so as that's carried over, right? Because we talk about continuous learning, natural curiosity being so important for businesses to really continue to break away. You've probably seen that really play well for you in this new experience. Well, I think in particular, if you're going to work at an agency, that means you're probably working with, let's say, a dozen companies at the same time. So you cannot rest on your laurels and say, 
I've been at this one company for a year. I kind of get what they're about. I know what we think about things. Uh, and I'm just going to rearticulate that over and over. Obviously, great in-house marketers don't do that either, right? They're also staying abreast of the space. But I think when you're in an agency, it really forces you to be up on what's going on. Uh, so I do think you leverage that same curiosity in terms of understanding what are the latest developments, who's successfully intervening in the space and becoming known, and how do I uh, leverage that understanding to help the companies I'm working with? Well, it makes a lot of sense. And now that you've had some time under your belt, this journey as a company founder, what have been some of the biggest learnings, the things you've taken away from that experience? Have there been any surprises along the way? Yeah, one one thing I would say is when I started out, you know, I had been a journalist and I I would say that my biggest asset was just that I was a very solid writer. You know, I could understand the industry from different perspectives, inhabit that perspective, learn about a company quickly um, and articulate a message. Uh, as time has gone on, I've really had to expand from initially just doing content to doing marketing strategy, because what I quickly realized is, Yes, some of my clients in the beginning and still now really just need tactical help where they have a significant marketing team and they just need someone who understands the industry to come in and go straight for their CEO or write blog posts or social content. But there are a lot of clients in my industry who have a marketing team of one or no marketing team. Maybe the CEO is still trying to, trying to sort of moonlight as a marketer. And so they needed someone who could not just write uh, intelligent content, but figure out how do we how are we going to use this content to grow the company and differentiate it from its competitors? So I would say in terms of the actual work we're doing, that has been the biggest change is putting that strategic puzzle together. Yeah, it is interesting uh, because you've got such a diverse landscape in terms of uh, in-house resources. And it sounds like you're working in some cases where there's a bit more of that, but in other cases where there really isn't. And in your own coming in as a de facto virtual marketing team. So that's got to be uh, something where you're highly adaptive then in terms of your approach to really forge the relationship and be effective. Yeah, I have a couple clients who are, you know, public companies and even name brands that all your listeners would know. And for them, it they have giant marketing bureaucracies, so they know what their strategy is. Uh, they have people being paid very handsomely in-house to figure that out. And what they need from me is someone who's going to make my direct point of contacts life easier, right? So you have a head of content marketing or a VP of comms who is super busy and maybe they don't have the in-house resource of like a very experienced writer uh, and they just need someone who's going to execute. But then there are other clients who, as I said, it could be a 20 person company um, and maybe they just raised a series A or they haven't even yet. And they need someone who's going to not just execute, but really teach them about marketing. Like, okay, I've worked with dozens of companies in this space how do they tend to grow? Like, and you realize over time that there's a logical order to these things um, and you can help uh, your clients figure that out. Right. And so in really taking that huge step of founding your own business and, and having to grow it literally from ground zero, are there some things that maybe were unexpected or, or things you were expecting, but maybe they played out in a different way? 
than you envisioned. What what has that whole dynamic been like? And just in terms of being that that founding source, energy source for that company. Yeah, I follow this guy who used to be the CEO of AppSumo on Twitter. He grew it from a few million a year to 80 million a year. And he always differentiates between zero to three million in revenue. And then after that, um, I'm sort of in the middle of that zero to three million journey. And uh, what he says is that period is all about product and promotion. And, you know, these sorts of business guru CEO types are great at simplifying like that. But I think there's a lot of truth to that. Like, it's really my job is to do two things. It's to make sure we're delivering an excellent service to our clients. So that's product or in our case, mm-hmm. a service. Yeah. Uh, and the second thing is promotion, which for me is building an audience. And last year, I tried a bunch of different marketing tactics. What I have found somewhat unsurprisingly, given what we do as a company, is that the only marketing tactic that really reliably brings in leads for me is content, which again, good. that's good news because that's what we do for other clients and that's, that's what we do for our clients yes. and that's what we do for ourselves. So that's the two big things are organic social content. So I write every day on LinkedIn and Twitter and then things like this, press appearances, podcasts and so on. But your question is correct in its um, implications in that that's one of the biggest challenges I think for any entrepreneur and any marketer who goes out on their own is in the beginning, you have to figure out What is going to be that successful promotion strategy for me? And especially with uh, marketing agencies and the bigger your deals are, that's not always obvious because it's just a bit slow. It's not like you're doing direct response ads for a DTC brand where you can test it and know in a week if it's working. You have to sort of give it quarters of time to develop. Yeah, and you're probably looking at both quantitative but also qualitative data and trying to assess what is really working, right? That you want to leverage and, and really help scale you past in that critical phase of your life as a company. Yeah. I also love that you touch on qualitative and quantitative data because I think marketers of small companies are actually generally over-indexed on the idea that they're going to obtain this like great quantitative data for their marketing performance. Like they're generally dealing with like very small sample sizes of information. Uh, and I think that the if you have one marketer or maybe you don't even have a full marketer, right? Maybe you just have one marketing resource and it's like a fractional uh, one like me. Your time is probably best spent not trying to like pour over data in a spreadsheet and figure out what's working. It's more, your time is better spent doing and analyzing at a high level every quarter, like, okay, we got, you know, if you're early on and you're doing high value deals, it's like, maybe we had 10 opportunities this entire quarter. All I would want to know as the marketing strategist or the CEO of that company is uh, what sources did those 10 leads come from? And that's going to give me a sense of, especially over the course of a year or several quarters of what's working. And for me, that was, that led to the realization like, oh, Basically, all of my leads have come from either content or referrals. So referrals, keep doing a great job with the service and we should get more of those. Uh, Content, let's focus on building our audience and not waste time and money on other marketing tactics that maybe aren't the best fit for our business. Yeah. And I think historically, you know, as a, a marketer, you know, I've always also been very passionate and believed that the success stories, the testimonials, the proof points through existing 
relationships, being able to articulate that to prospects is a really powerful marketing toy in today's environment. It's so hyper-competitive, so volatile, so dynamic. The worth of that very happy customer with proven results and success, there's probably no better, more powerful statement that you can communicate than that, right? So it's like leverage, how to find it, leverage it, get the eyeballs uh, onto that uh, proof point. Yeah, that's astute. I think the number one thing in your marketing materials is to figure out uh, what are you doing for whom, what makes you different, and what do your customers care about, and how can you capture that? The second thing is going to be to actually outsource the persuasion to a third party, which is a fancy way of saying what you just said, like customer proof, testimonials, Mm -hmm. um, you know, with a lot of my clients, if we rewrite their site, the top of the page is going to be copy that tries to do those three things I just mentioned. And then right under that, you're going to have, you know, our clients and its logos of their clients or its testimonials from their clients. Yeah, that's powerful. Now you work with a wide range of different marketing leaders. What are some of the biggest challenges, concerns, worries that they're wrestling with right now? And and you're right in the midst of helping them overcome. I think for the tactical clients, uh, which you can't lose sight of, because I think especially in the beginning, those are the types of clients marketing entrepreneurs are going to deal with. Uh, It really is figuring out how can I make their life easier? Like what is stressing them out? Um, And it's a very sort of human driven thing. Um, So is it like they need someone who's going to come up with ideas because their head's down, they have way too much on their plate. And they don't have the time to be listening to three industry podcasts a week. And so can you deliver that for them? Or maybe it's they're used to everything being really slow. And if you can be that agile resource that's going to turn around a blog post in a day, that's really going to wow them. Like that's a tactic I often use because it plays to my strengths. And some people don't really care. And other people are totally wowed by that. So figure out what makes them happy and do that thing. And then for the more strategic clients, I think it's putting that puzzle together. It's like, we want to grow and we also want a marketing partner who really gets it and feels like they aren't and feel like they aren't just going through the motions. Uh, And that's, I think if you can articulate for those strategic clients, how do you see marketing strategy and how do you see a path to growth for them? You're, you're going to be a huge asset in a way that someone who's just heads down and executing won't necessarily be. So you almost need opposite approaches based on what the client really needs from you. Yeah. And so coming in uh, as this partner with a fresh perspective, sounds like just a lot of value, just being able to offer a different point of view, right? Rather than being internal and being inside and, and just being almost too close the situation so it's good having that objective strategic partner come in and uh, and share some observations some assessment and and really give you the confidence then to update your strategy and move forward yeah often i think that is what especially higher level clients are looking for they're looking for someone who is not embedded in the company and who therefore is talking to you know a dozen external stakeholders a week um, they're looking to that person 
to help them understand like what is really resonating in the market and what is credible uh, and what will people care about, right? Because I think the number one challenge for B2B companies in particular, which is my customer set, uh, isn't that they're going to say something wrong and they're going to piss someone off or something like that. It's not like crisis mitigation, like if you're dealing with a big public incumbent, it's that no one cares about them and no one's listening to them, right? They're used to putting content out and they feel like we're, we're you know, a tree falling in the forest and no one's hearing it. So where someone like me or an external marketing resource can be an asset to them, I think it's an often just helping them understand what's really trendy and top of mind for people in the industry and how do we reach them. And sometimes those conversations can be uh, initially maybe a, a little awkward in terms, but you, you need to be candid, right? So if you're coming in and you're doing an assessment and maybe they're not really optimizing and saying, hey, wait a minute, you really need to stop this and and kind of shift your thinking do you find that challenging sometimes uh, in terms of just being brutally honest? Because sometimes they, it can be hard to hear that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think sometimes it's a question of the first part of strategy, which is what is the message? And sometimes it's number two, which is how are we distributing the message? So for number one, uh, there are a couple of things I tend to see. Uh, one is that the company wants to be known for something but they are relatively new to the category. Uh, And so they're not known for that thing. There are incumbents that are much better known. And the question I'll ask in that scenario is, okay, what gives us the right to move into this sector or to be known for this sector? And then you sort of get the client. So it's a little provocative, but then you kind of get the client thinking about, uh, okay, well, what do our customers love about this? Or why do we think we are... Uh, we're going to be competitive in this space. Like, you know, in advertising technology, my industry, uh, CTV, connected TV is a really fast growing mm-hmm. advertising channel. And so every ad tech company and their mom wants to get into CTV advertising. And so if you're working with a company that historically hasn't been in that sector and wants to be, uh, that that's a good question to ask. And the answer might be, you know, our, oh, we have this uh, ad format that no one else has, right? That could be interesting. Another thing that's often problematic with the message is the company is talking way too much about themselves. And that's totally understandable because especially if they're not in a customer facing role, they're again, their heads down, they're working on their own thing. So they think what they're doing is fascinating because yeah. it is to them, but it's our job as the external marketing resource to help them understand Um you are not nearly as interesting to anyone outside your company as your like company is to you. And so we need to figure out a way to say this that isn't you-centric, but rather customer-centric. Um, and then in terms of distributing the message, I just had uh, I just encountered a, an issue like this with a client, um, which is I think sometimes, especially CEOs and non-marketers, they, they think... Like, oh, we have this big event coming up or we have this big launch and this is like a huge deal. And it goes back to what I was just saying of like, well, it's a huge deal for us. It's not a huge deal for our audience, right? They have their own things going on. So the way that marketing tends to be successful is not like, oh, we have this big thing coming up. It's more like you're participating in the conversation every single day and getting in front of your audience and helping them do their jobs better. And through that repetitive uh, sort of pedagogical interaction, you ultimately earn their trust. And then when you have a big announcement coming, they 
believe you, they're interested, they want to be involved. Um, but to summarize, yes, I think companies often don't quite have their finger on the pulse of the industry and on what people are going to respond to. And it's very much the job of marketers to be the voice of that audience and help them tweak their approach. Yeah, it's so easy to fall into that trap of self-admiration, you know, just based on internally what you've accomplished. And then again, you know, going back to this really well and often used concept, which is what's in it for them, for the customer. And it, again, it ties back to needs, not feature functionality and uh, or characteristics of an event, if we're talking about that. So definitely a, a trap that uh, a lot of organizations, especially in technology, get caught up with when there's a lot of innovation, just standing back and just admiring your work. But yeah, it still comes back to client relevance. And obviously, you're working with a lot of different clients simultaneously this whole agency client relationship dynamic, Joe, it's really interesting. Uh, there's been much written and certainly from the experiences of being on the client side or the agency side, you're going to bring a perspective into those relationships and the ups and downs that come with that. What do you think are the keys to really building a healthy and a sustaining strategic partnership? I think the number one factor is that you're aligning on expectations and you both sort of understand what is the strategy here? Uh, what are the likely outcomes? It's funny, I was just talking to a freelancer friend of mine who's early in his marketing entrepreneur journey, earlier than I am in his marketing entrepreneur journey. And he's at the stage where he probably isn't going to be doing a lot of marketing strategy for clients. You know, he's a writer and so he's going to be more doing tactical content tasks. And I said to him, when I was just starting, when relationships tended to go wrong is when the client was really looking for a marketing strategist to figure out how to make them grow. And they just hired me to do content. And all we were doing, and all I was frankly getting paid for, like based on the rate, was doing blog posts. And I think the client and I both agreed, these are good blog posts. But we didn't have a strategy to grow the company with that content. Uh, and that's really what that was the outcome they were expecting. And the outcome I was expecting was I am going to write, you know, smart, interesting content. Mm -hmm. So the client and the agency uh, need to align on that. And when you're when you are more sophisticated, as I'd like to believe I now am, though, when I first started out, you also have to explain to the client. What is your view as a marketing strategist of how strategy works in your industry uh, and the outcomes you can expect and the sort of timeline? Because often, once you are more experienced, you can avoid those unsustainable relationships by simply articulating that. Because let's say the client, let's say you're doing high value, high consideration B2B marketing, and you're like, look, this is going to be content events and PR. We're going to figure out what the message is. We're going to distribute it constantly. And over time, we're going to see our pipeline grow uh, because we're building more authority and we're sparking more relationships. Well, that's a gradual approach. And that's how I view marketing in my industry. If they're saying, well, we want to turn this on and we want to see leads in three weeks, then obviously it's not going to work. So it's also good if you just have that awareness and you can talk about what your view of strategy is, because then if there's a gap, 
you can identify that quickly and maybe just not not even do it if you can't come to an agreement. Yeah, aligning expectations on the front end. How exciting is that? I mean, that is that is absolutely critical. Yeah, it's uh, more difficult than it sounds, right? And I think personally, I have clients where I'm like, we're completely aligned. This is going to be wonderful. And often it is. I have uh, opportunities where I say, nope, they don't get it at all, or we have completely different views of how this should work, and we just don't do it. And generally, that's mutual. I think the hard instances, as people experienced with working for hiring agencies, uh, know the hard instances are when it's kind of on the borderline and you're like, hmm, they might get this, they might not. Uh, And you're kind of doing your best to persuade them and to help them understand but sometimes it's not as clear cut as it sounds in a podcast. And I recognize that. And I think that the best you can do in that scenario is, again, not just state those expectations in the sales process. And then you start and they're like, they're, they're exhibiting signs that they've forgotten everything you said and you just let it fly. I think you have to constantly be checking back up on, okay, well, we're doing these tactics, but why? Like, what is the strategy here and what are the outcomes we're expecting? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And we had touched base around content earlier, critical part of the marketing mix. How do you see the role of content evolving today? And We've got new technologies, things like artificial intelligence coming in, impacting customers, but also marketing practitioners. How do you see that playing out? Yeah, let me talk about content in conjunction with PR, because I really see them as overlapping functions, which I know, in, especially in large corporations, they, they might not be. But I think for startups in particular, they really are. So in my industry, in ad tech and martech, historically, the playbook has been, you know, you go out and you hire a 10K per month PR agency. And I think many companies do not actually need Uh, a dedicated resource just to do PR purely because the, there aren't enough journalists in the space to merit that kind of spend or that kind of uh, allocation of time on that one channel. So I really view B2B marketing as a combination of content and PR where it's like the purpose of both is how are we going to build a reputation? and cultivate authority and an audience such that we start more relationships that turn into more business and other opportunities, be it with influencers or investors or potential acquirers, whatever it is. And so PR is one way to do that. Uh, Emailing journalists, trying to get featured in stories, being a resource for them, placing bylines in the press. And another is all sorts of content, right? Which can mean downloadable assets such as white papers or webinars. It could be sales collateral, like case studies or one pagers. And then the everyday stuff is mainly social or derivatives of social. So it's it could be LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, Slack communities for your industry, WhatsApp groups for your industry. Um, and both of these functions, content and PR, emanate from those principal questions I illuminated at the beginning, which are uh, what is the message and how are we going to distribute the message? I think if you figure out that those strategic dimensions of marketing, 
then you just say, okay, well, these are just all channels that are available to us. So we've identified the message. We've identified a handful of industry topics that people care about and what our POV on them is. And now we're going to go out and we're going to create daily content for the social channels where our audience is hanging out. Uh, and we're also going to do uh, PR, which is going to have a bit of like a longer cycle in between hits. And one, we control the message completely. And one, we're sort of outsourcing it to a third party. Uh, but I think in terms of how it's evolving, in the olden days, it used to be a lot more, you know, there are gatekeepers and we're going to try to influence them and build relationships with them and they will amplify our message. And nowadays, it's uh, you have all of these channels at your disposal with basically no mediation and you want to be reaching your audience every day. And I think a lot of B2B companies, as crazy as it might sound to our, uh, you know, very progressive counterparts in B2C, uh, are still catching up to that paradigm. Yeah. And something I've talked to a lot of my marketing colleagues about over the years as it relates to content is not viewing it as more volume, better uh, volume for volume's sake, but also make sure that you uh, can fully leverage and reutilize existing content. There always seems to be this uh, tendency to want to keep doing more and more and more and more and more, but not ever really fully leveraging all the potential of even existing content. So before it even is fully utilized, you're jumping onto something else. Do you, do you see the same phenomenon, that tendency to want to just create, create, create? Yeah, for sure. Like, for example, I think that practically any company in my industry should be creating daily or near daily social content. And so, whereas you might have, you know, however many years ago said, we're going to do, you know, 10 blog posts a month. Mm -hmm. Now, maybe it's four blog posts, but you're, you're utilizing the, fil the full value of each of those assets. So you're turning each into six social posts, right? So then you have a social post every day. And then you're also learning from that uh, what's really resonating with our audience. So for example, for all of our clients, we have a house POVs doc. Uh, and that just means what are the five topics we really care about in our industry and what's our POV, our house position on each of those topics. And then we'll write the social content in that same doc. And whenever a post does really well, we'll screenshot it and link to it and add it to the house POVs doc so that then the next week when we're creating more content, we can say, okay, well, our average post gets 15 reactions and this post got 60. What, do, what can we learn? based on this post. And then you can create more posts on the same topic, but you can also uh, leverage the insights in a more strategic way. Like maybe you realize, oh, what really made people jump on this topic is uh, we pointed out this bad guy that our customers dislike. Um, and that gave, that made them feel like, you know, it gave them something to root for. It made them feel like we were on their, their side that, you know, let's say this tech giant is uh, at odds with them. So I think uh, you're completely right that we're moving from this like large, more large pieces of content to uh, fewer large pieces and then getting the maximum value out of them by creating native content based on them. That might be more short form. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Now let's shift over again because of your journey in stepping into this leadership role, this founding role. What do you think 
separates exceptional leadership from just good enough? I think exceptional leaders are really willing to reevaluate what's working, uh, to align, to articulate a vision, get everyone aligned with it, and then act fast. I think in instances where I feel leadership on the other side of the table, which is to say with uh, clients, uh, might leave something to be desired, is when uh, it feels like we're constantly revisiting the vision uh, and or we're moving really slowly and executing it. I think especially with smaller companies, which just by definition is most of the companies out there, uh, your advantage is that you can move fast, right? Whereas really large companies might be confined, uh, bound by red tape, right? They have to run everything through legal. So that's what I see in leaders is that they have, in great leaders, is they have a vision. They have a strategy to make the vision a reality. They stick to it. They get other stakeholders involved. And then they move fast in executing it. Yeah, I really like that because it's understanding the difference between the, the strategy without effective execution. There needs to be a, a clear connective tissue there or appreciation for that uh, in order to get results, right? It, can't, it isn't going to live on the strategy alone. So I like how you, you brought that together. And you've obviously provided strategic counsel to so many different businesses. I want to flip it around, Joe, and ask you, what's the best piece of business advice you've ever received? One of the best pieces of advice I've gotten, and I will extend this in particular to anyone who's uh, a marketing freelancer, consultant, or starting a business, is to really stick to and double down on a niche. So I think every uh, marketing freelancer or agency entrepreneur has this problem in the beginning where they say, oh, well, I have deep expertise in this industry, but I'm also interested in XYZ, or I'm not sure I'm going to get enough clients uh, out of this uh, industry. Uh, so maybe I should also do other things. And what the, mar what the uh, entrepreneurship gurus will tell you usually is that doubling down on a niche is the answer. And that it might be scary because if your site is all about ad tech and martech like mine is, you're going to scare off customers who aren't in that industry. And in the beginning, we're all, you know, we want to make money. We want to have a sustainable uh, business that will support us. But when you go all in on that industry and your positioning is aligned and your client portfolio is aligned and your content is aligned, you are one of only a few options or maybe even the only option for companies in that industry that are looking for marketing help. It's important to recognize that in general, the very concept of a marketing agency or content or PR agency is a commodity. There are you know thousands of them in existence. So if you are not committed to a niche, you are competing with hundreds or thousands of competitors. If you do double down on a niche, you might have five competitors and then you can figure out within that, okay, what makes us special? 
uh, among those five companies. Uh, so it took me a while to fully commit to that. Uh, I began to see much better results when I did. Like I was getting, I started getting way more leads. The leads were more qualified. Deals closed faster. I could charge more because I was really an expert on the subject and I could do the work faster. So really everything aligns. So I would say in this context, that would be the piece of advice I would pass along. Yeah, really powerful in terms of just being able to focus and having the discipline to maintain that focus. And it really makes a lot of sense when you talk about it and, uh, and it's paying off. Thanks for sharing that. And I know you're also always trying to anticipate where things are headed. You're looking to the future. When you think about the future, Joe, what makes you optimistic? I think what makes me optimistic is the growing opportunity to get in front of your audience. I, I collaborate with someone who's about 15 years older than I am and who had a more traditional career on path to becoming a marketing consultant and having his own uh, consultancy or agency. And, you know, when he looks at me, he's like, oh, well, you were able to develop in five years what took me a lot longer to put together. And a huge part of how I did that um, was being present online and cultivating uh, cultivating a brand, cultivating an audience, interacting directly with people who never would have taken a meeting with me, but I could engage with them directly on Twitter or LinkedIn. You know, I could just say something thoughtful about whatever they had posted. Uh, and that I think is a really cool dimension of contemporary marketing and business. And I think despite its apparent availability, there really are very few people who take advantage of it. Like if I think it would be true that if you had like a hundred junior marketers, you know, entry-level marketers in my industry, uh, fewer than five of them are taking advantage of that opportunity. So for those who are ambitious and do want to put the time into that, I, I think they will get results. You know, they will improve their reputation and they will meet people who can help them out. Uh, and so that's a cool thing, I think, about the direction in which marketing has headed over the past few years. Yeah, there's been so much attention on the negative aspects of social media. But what you're talking about, what a continuing great opportunity for people at all stages of their careers to offer their unique perspectives and thought in a constructive and positive way to a dialogue, you know, that's going on um, online. So good way to, to keep us all remembering there's a positive aspect to that. Yeah, exactly. And you make a great point. You know, I think about early career people because I'm thinking, okay, how do you start out? But that holds true for anyone at any period. You know, you could be in the middle of your career and I know many people have done this and they, they get active on LinkedIn or Twitter or wherever people in their industry are hanging out. And two years later, they have a significant audience and it can really, uh, it can really boost your career options, whether you are an entrepreneur or looking for uh, roles at other companies. So as we start wrapping up our conversation, Joe, do you have any other final advice for leaders that are looking to elevate the performance of their marketing teams? Well, maybe I'll speak to the situation with agencies in particular. I would just parrot what I said earlier about the importance of 
having a strategy and having clear expectations. Uh, if, if everyone is aligned on what you're doing and why you're doing it, you don't have to constantly revisit it. The team has confidence in what you're doing. And then you can consistently reevaluate whether you're having success. You know, maybe it's every three months that you're doing that. Uh, too many teams, I think, get mired in the day to day and they're executing tactics without uh, ensuring that that strategic vision is up to date. So as long as we do that as marketers, I think we give ourselves a good chance to succeed and tactics may still fail, but then at least we know why we're doing what we're doing and we can improve it if we're not hitting our goals. Yeah, that's a great reminder. And Joe, thanks again for joining, sharing your personal journey, really a shift right? From journalist into company founder of a very successful growing agency, supporting businesses in their marketing success and inspiring all of us. Thank you so much for having me on. It was a fun conversation. And a reminder to please continue to give the gift of feedback to help make this podcast even better. Go out, rate and review. It's so easy to do. You can do that on all the major podcast platforms, including Apple Podcast and Spotify. And as always, make sure to visit marketimpactnow.com for the latest in business leadership perspectives. So long until next time.